Hi, I'm Casey Hobbs. I get to be the volunteer manager of the Birmingham Zoo. One of the fun things about my job is that I also get to manage our internship program. Today I want to introduce you to one of our amazing unpaid interns at the Birmingham Zoo. Hope you enjoy. Today we have Tia Thompson with us. Tia is an intern and she just completed her second semester as being an intern with us at the Birmingham Zoo. And we will get into what that means and the programs that brought her here. But first, Tia, thank you so much for making the time to be with us today. Absolutely no problem. Thanks for having me. Okay. So you came to us through the Falcon Scholar Program at Montevallo University. Uh, tell us about that program and about how you came to the zoo. Of course. So um, originally the Falcon Scholars Program was run under, I'm, I'm an environmental studies major um, as well as a minor in African American studies. And um, the professor who was teaching my African American studies class, you know, um, kind of told us, got us informed, like, hey, there's um, a pretty great opportunity through Falcon Scholars Program. It'll set you up with an internship for something that, that pretty much matches with your major, um, as well as giving you extra hints and, and tools and ways to make it um, through, through the semester with networking, learning kind of like real life skills as far as networking. So I was like, okay, cool, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sign up, we'll give it a try. Um, and so I did, I signed up for the program, I got accepted, um, and then they matched me with the Birmingham Zoo. And so I've now been working there, like you said, for two semesters. Yeah, so you're an environmental studies major. I have to confess, when I was in college now many years ago, I did not even know that that was an option. Tell us what, <laughs> what, what got you interested in environmental studies as a major. Um, so my journey through college has actually been like a really, really wild ride. Um, I started college headset, um, pretty headstrong, and I was convinced that I was going to be a speech pathology major. Um, I had figured that out all the way through high school, um, and I got to college, and I actually started classes for speech path. And then I think it was my second semester in college, I was realizing, I'm like, I cannot hear anything my professors are saying. And I thought, you know, maybe it was just me sitting in class and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm in the wrong spot in class. And then I was having conversations with my friends in my car. And I'm like, okay, we are four feet away from each other, if that. There's no reason I shouldn't be able to hear you. Mm -hmm. um, so after a while I got it checked out and I learned that I have a bilateral progressive hearing loss. Um, which basically means that um, as time goes on, I'll um, kind of lose association with words. So that kind of makes that speech path route a little, a little harder, a lot more towards the road of impossible, really. Yeah. You're essentially <laughs> a, a case study instead of an expert. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I kind of spent the semester trying to see, you know, like which route I was going to take. Mm -hmm. I took some deaf ed classes and I was like, okay, maybe I'll get into deaf education. Then I went to something that we have in Alabama called a water rally, um, which was this really kind of intense weekend 
of just learning so many things as far as um, environmental policy, how you can help people having new technologies and new inventions on um, ways to clean up waterways. And then, um, you know, we had discussion. It was just a super cool group of people. And so when we got back, I talked to my now department chair, Susan Kaplow. And I was like, you know, Kaplow, I think I really enjoyed that weekend a lot more than I had anticipated I would. Um, <laughs> Hmm. And at the time, I was in the university e-club. So I was like, you know, I'm already in e-club. I really enjoyed my weekend learning things about the environment. Why don't I try environmental studies? Um, and so I kind of took it and ran with it. There were a couple of phone calls that involved crying um, hmm. with my parents. Like, I have to change my major. I can't, I can't stay in this major. But what do I do? And so, like... After talking me down, my parents were like, well, just do whatever makes you happy. Mm -hmm. So I got into my environmental studies classes. And not even going to lie, I kind of was awful at it at first because these people were coming in, like, knowing so much background about mm -hmm. Earth and not just, like, general things that people know, you know, global warming, um, climate crisis, all of that. It's like, oh, okay, the meaning of the things behind this. So I was a little lost at first, but the more I started going to rallies and cleanups and getting into conversations and discussions about what was actually happening and what we were covering, I was like, okay, I'm caught up. And yes, I still love this. And I ended up picking up an African-American studies minor when um, I heard, and this was crazy because it was the first time in college as I'm sitting in one of my classes that I heard about environmental racism. And I was like, what the heck is environmental racism? And so I do some research on it and we talk about it in my African-American studies class and we talk about it in environmental studies. And I'm like, I hate everything about environmental racism. Like, why can't we do something about it? Um, and I'm sure this might've been one of your questions, but my, my brain started going and I thought, why not start a nonprofit? Um, so, I won't get too much into that, but, you know, as far as getting involved, it all happened so quickly. And I found that like environmental studies really is my love. It's my passion. Um, and so I'm sticking with it. Yeah, Tia, I was really excited about, about asking you the question <laughs> that, you, that you just brought up. Um, so I, I want to, I want to backtrack real quick and ask you to give us a definition of environmental racism. My understanding from readings, environmental racism is basically when people don't have the same rights or free will to their land because the government is imposing on it rather than being able to do what they want. So like, I live in Alabaster. If I wanted to today, I could pick up some tools and I could start a garden in my backyard. Um, of course, I would need just like a little bit of extra soil, you know, the seeds, but nothing too major to start a garden in my backyard. Mm -hmm. Well, there are people who don't have that luxury. And that is a crime because it's not that they don't have that luxury because of where they live. They don't have that luxury because their land has been used for horrible things. Um, so environmental racism could be on a span of 
you know, the government dumped crude oil on their land, so now they can't use any of their dirt or soil. Or um, like in Uniontown, Alabama, which is my favorite place to talk about, they ship coal ash down, and so it's polluting their soil. But not only their soil, they've created something even more awful, so it's polluting their water. Um, so environmental racism to me is just basically when people don't have the same rights or luxuries to their land, even though they live somewhere where they should have free access to land. A lot of times, actually most of the time, it is a race issue. Um, and that's why it can be environmental racism and not just, you know, environmental inequality or environmental injustice. A lot of this stuff only happens to black and brown communities. So um, like Uniontown, the shipment of coal ash from a white affluent community in Tennessee somehow made its way to the middle of nowhere, Alabama um, in a lower class African-American community, which is absolutely ridiculous. But this community was, you know, already trying to scrape and live off of their own. A lot of these people were having to go to, um, you know, like the city right next to them or, you know, find different cities to find jobs in mm -hmm. even. And these weren't even like education jobs because they didn't have a school in their city. These were like fast food jobs. You have nowhere that's fast food in the city. So you're going to the next town over or like grocery store jobs. What's now, um, funny enough, essential jobs, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of always been that way, but America has a funny way of, of kind of deteriorating people's positions, which can be another reason for environmental racism. Um, people kind of higher up choose to say, okay, well, this community isn't doing as great as this community that wants it gone, so just dump it there. And, you know, they don't have much of a voice to fight back. When they do have a voice, it goes nowhere. Um, so they have to build a case and they have to prove that these things are wrong. But um, in the case of how now it's a thing where COVID-19 is becoming, you know, the color of COVID-19 and why is it affecting mm -hmm. um, black and brown communities um, dis disproportionately is because there's always been an issue there. As we all know, COVID can affect those with predispositions, like pre predisposed con conditions asthma, old age, you know, anything wrong with your lungs, stuff like that. Well, in these communities, they don't have access to healthcare. They don't have access to lawmakers. They don't have access to law books to know what's against the law. Um, if they do, it's because they left their town and they brought that knowledge back. And so in these places like Uniontown, we definitely expect to hear more about predispositions because of these things that are happening. If a government can go in and taint their land and cause diseases like cancer, high blood pressure, you know, um, sleep disorders and um, diabetes, stuff like this. If these communities are already exposed to this, of course, when another thing comes around, it'll, it'll just make it worse. But that was always the underlying cause is this environmental racism because these communities aren't being treated fairly, even with their environment. They may be polluted on by companies moving in and, you know, spreading dirt and smoldered throughout their entire community and no one cares. Um, and so they just, they haven't had equal access 
Um, so they've always had kind of predispositions, but now it's, it's coming more to light because of COVID and it's kind of a catch 22 for me. I'm a little grateful, but at the same time, I'm a little upset that it took a pandemic for people to start focusing on, you know, communities of color. These are things that happen, you know, it, people get used to it. I didn't even kind of notice that I had said, you know, of course my family has contracted it because that's that's kind of the norm. We kind of expected it. Not only because, yes, my family is from New Orleans and they're being hit pretty hard. All states are being being hit pretty pretty good. Um, but you know, it's it's more of we had predispositions. You know, we were sick before, so you know, it's expected that at least someone in my family has um, has caught the virus. Right. So shifting a little bit back to um, what you're, what you've been doing about this issue and um, will be doing about this. So you obviously have a personal stake in this and you obviously are passionate and knowledgeable about um, the environment and environmental racism. So tell us what you're, what you've been working on. Biggest idea has been my nonprofit that I, I knew the question was going to come up, so I didn't want to divulge too much into it at first. (laughs) (laughs) But my nonprofit is called Soil for Supper. um, And basically, it'll go into these communities and help them kind of take back their land in a way. Um, Now, the logistics of it is still, you know, kind of up in the air. I'm, I'm just... 20 year old college student so I'm not an engineer I'm not you know a mathematician that needs to do all of these things I will be reaching out to those people um but you know it's just a broad idea of I want to help that's basically what pushed me into doing anything it's just I I want to make it better I want to help I want to if I can close this gap even like city by city I will um and so with Soil for Supper it'll help places like Uniontown be able to take their land back. So it'll um, start like first personal gardens um, for people to have because a lot of people did um, like grow their vegetables on their own in their soil. Um, So personal gardens where so people can eat healthier, they can have access to healthier food and then um, community gardens as well as um, working with places like GASP and um, any type of environmental groups to get them in touch with people who can help as far as um, environmental law policy goes. So, you know, it's just working with a great team of people to help people in any way we can, whether it's the law aspect or whether it's we'll get on hands and knees ourselves and build a garden for you so that you can take back your land in your own way. Yeah, how can the rest of us get involved? Um, So I I typically urge people as far as helping right now is to get educated on it. That's that's the biggest part. People always want to help when they know more about these things. Um, You can literally search any type of environmental racism, environmental law policies, you know, search um, cities that you might not be aware of, like Uniontown or search... um, you know, environmental disasters in your local state, you know, um, say you live in California, just 
type in environmental disasters in California. And you never know where these things end up going because it's like, okay, yeah, Tennessee had a coal ash bill and people in Tennessee have no idea where that coal ash went. It's just, it's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if people educate themselves on where did this go? Why did it go there? You know, how is this right? And a big part of it too is it steps on people's toes, but a lot of it is if you're searching this outside of it being a personal stake. So if you're not part of a black or brown community, a lot of it is checking privilege. Um, You know, if you have the privilege to go out in your yard um, and do things that these other communities can't, you should be concerned about it because we're all Americans and we should all have these same rights. We should all have the same access to our land, you know, and Uniontown isn't three, four hours away from me. It's like an hour and a half away from me. Someone an hour and a half away from me should have the same access and rights to their land as I do, you know, so just caring, getting educated, and, um, and then finding local ways to get involved. I promise there's a gasp or a, um, some type of environmental law or some type of crisis line that you can get involved in in your, in your state or community. Yeah, and so another way that you've got involved is the, with the, is it the Cahaba River Society? Yes. Not, yes. Currently serve as um, the junior board co-chair along with Charles Haney. I really hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but me and Charles uh, serve as co-chairs for the Cahaba River Society Junior Board. So um, we get super involved as far as getting people educated about their rivers, um, about how they can clean up education um, along the rivers. So that's what the Cahaba River Society is really passionate about is getting these younger kids, this new generation onto the river and seeing like, you can learn from this. Like before I got into college, I had zero idea that there was a river in Alabama that hosts like more species of wildlife than the entire country in one little Hmm. river. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, it teaches, it focuses on education um, and it focuses on like change, how you can better, um the lake or river or wherever you go visit or how you know you can get involved in um keeping it clean and making sure that people you know stay on top of making sure that your watershed is clean yeah so tia those are excellent resources and the fact that you are so involved in these conservation projects and um, particularly as they relate to everyday life. I'm curious how that informs your, how that informs how you bring yourself to the zoo. Um, Obviously conservation is a main piece of our mission. Um, so tell us how that, how you're able to bridge that as a zoo volunteer. Um, when I came into the zoo at first, it was mostly like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I figured I was going to be, you know, shuffling papers or, you know, helping clean up an office or something. Mm-hmm. Things that other interns were seeming to have to do. 
Um, and then I quickly realized that that was wrong. I was, I was <laughs> not just, just shuffling papers. I was out there and I was gaining not only my education on animals and um, habitats and environments, I was able to spread that type of education and knowledge to literally anyone at the zoo. So that's kind of how I bridge it as far as, like I said, um, you know, educating yourself with what's going on in your community, um, just spreading education and kind of throwing in tidbits of what I know um, as far as, you know, things about animals or what I know as far as things about habitats and nature. Um, you know, not every time that someone walks into a certain animal's habitat do they want to know about the animal they want to know about the person telling them about the animal mm. so you know oh what qualified you to be able to do this what do i have to do to get involved um and i'm not you know overly qualified it's just you know wanting to get involved um so i like being able to bridge the whole education aspect um because you know it's it's not always cut copy paste the exact same education that you're giving the exact same person you kind of get to tailor it to what their question is and um you know how you can put that into real life situations yeah tia that you are you say that you're not overly qualified but that's not true you are <laughs> overqualified and i know that i've told you this before and i've told everybody that um, that I've talked to about you, just how impressive you are and how um, inspiring it is to talk to somebody that knows what they want to do and sees the, the need and is aggressively trying to address the need. And I know that you have the type of infectious personality that brings people along with you. So we have been very fortunate to have you as part of our zoo team. Um, <laughs> I always get like really, really mushy when you guys like tell me about myself because hmm. it's kind of like one of my things I just kind of do. And I never really, you know, do to say, Oh, I'm going to be better than this person today. It's more of like, do you want to know this? Cool. Like, let's, let's dive into it. Um, so it's, it's always really good to, and I, I get it a lot around there um, from many of the staff, um, which is probably mostly Casey's fault. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, um, you know, I get it from most of the staff that, you know, it's, it's something different and it's something unique about, you know, the way that I try to hop in and teach people things. And it, that's that's another thing that draws me in every time I come in. It's it's how warm and welcoming people are, and how much they like to point out what you're doing great. You know, not everywhere you go will someone always want to tell you how you know great and different you are. Um, so that's that's a really cool aspect of it of just being at the zoo in general. Well, that makes me feel all mushy to hear that. I'm glad that <laughs> that's your experience. Well, Tia, I know that um, I know that a lot of folks will get a lot and benefit a lot from listening to this interview. I know I feel like I benefit every time. Um, <laughs> the 
to pick your brain about these kind of things. So thank you so much for making the time today. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I've enjoyed every part of it. And that's our show. Our art is by Phil Nellis. We want to thank our special guests for today for being on the show. If you want to support the Arzu, go to www.birminghamzoo.com slash donate. The next time you're on grounds, say hello to our amazing volunteers. Talk to you soon. <laughs>